You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. Had great influence in our denomination, Southern Baptist. A man who's written a lot of our literature through the years is now uh, an elderly man. I don't know how old he is, but he is probably at least in his 80s. He was asked about worship. He was asked about worship. He was asked about this thing of how worship has been transitioning. And at times people have called it worship wars. I want you to hear what this old senior adult, this Southern Baptist said. He said, my generation, we sang about God. He said, this generation sings to God. And he said, it is a breath of fresh air to me. Isn't that true? Did you hear those words? You are glorious. You are merciful. Christ the Savior. That's how we'll worship. That's how we'll sing in heaven. So let's just take a moment. Reach somebody and grab somebody's hand. Could we pray for a moment? We pray, dear Lord, that the power of your Holy Spirit that is in this place even now, dear Lord. We have, we have shouted, we have clapped, we have sang. But Lord, we want most of all for you to know that you are glorious, you are merciful, you are Christ, not only the Savior, but we pray, dear Lord, that today that we can say, Christ, my Savior. And Father, we pray that if there's a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, who has never invited you into their life, we pray, dear Lord, that through the power of your Holy Spirit, that they would open up their hearts and say, Lord Jesus, come in. Take control of my life. Live your life through me, Lord. Father, we pray, dear Lord, even as we come to the preaching of your word, that you would anoint this service with your presence. Make our hearts sensitive, receptive to your word. Cleanse us, forgive us where any one of us have failed you. And we give you the glory. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I want you to remain standing and take your Bibles. And I want you to remain standing, take your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 32. Picking up at verse 21. We, we looked last week, and we had kind of an interruption, but I really believe it was a divine opportunity. Last week, if you remember, I was about 10 minutes into the message. Jeffrey uh, came back in and, and, and said, Dad, there's a house burning down over here next to the church, and some of our men, are, well, all of our men, as far as I know, and young men begin to make their way and, and begin to see what they can do to help. Some of our ladies, nurses, and people in the medical profession uh, they also begin to, to make their way over there. And I want you to know something. It was a powerful statement about this church. And, and, and I want to say to all of you, I'm very proud of you. I'm not only proud of those people that went, I'm proud of those people that begin to gather in pockets of prayer groups and to begin to pray for the safety and the well-being. All of those people were able to get out. Uh, no one was hurt. The house was lost. I also want to thank a couple of our men, a couple that I'm aware of, um, uh, Carl and Matt, um, who both stepped in and offered to help the woman who was there if she needed assistance. We even this past week even offered to put the family up in a hotel for a week to give them an opportunity to kind of regroup and, and begin to figure out what they were going to do. It was, as far as we know, a mother and her daughter. So we've done what we can. We want you to know something. We just didn't simply run over there and drop it. We tried to do what we could to minister to this family. And, and, and I'm proud of you. And I thank God. I thank God for this church. Now, last week we looked, though, at this subject of Crowder Congregation. And I ask you a question. Men, are you, uh, as a dad, do you have a crowd or do you have a congregation? Mom, if you're a single mom trying to raise a family, do you have a crowd or a congregation? Because that's what we're looking at today. In fact, the, let me give you a definition real quickly. A congregation is described, listen to this, as a gathering of people, an assembly of people for religious worship or teaching. 
Okay, in other words, it's an assembly of people who'd come together for worship and for teaching. Now, a crowd is defined as an assembly of people in close proximity or densely packed. Now, listen to what Webster said. And may suggest a lack of order and a loss of personal identity. Did you hear that? A crowd usually has no order and has lost identity. And that can happen to any church. It can happen to any family. It can happen to any group of people who gather together. We can either be a congregation of people that are gathered for worship and for the teaching of the Word, or we can just simply be a crowd that has lost our identity and we've just kind of come together. We're not really sure why we're here. So are we a crowd or are we a congregation? And last week we looked at Moses. You remember? In, in Exodus 32, Moses goes up on Mount Sinai and there he receives the law of God. Joshua is waiting there at the base of the mountain. The people of Israel across that plain. When, jo- when Moses left those people, he left them in charge of a man by the name of Aaron. Aaron is his brother. He leaves this congregation, the Israelite nation, in the spiritual care of Aaron, then he goes up to receive the law of God. And Joshua is with him. When they're coming back down, and you can imagine the scene as Moses is coming back down with the tablets, with the Ten Commandments. I hate to say this, but the University of Alabama ruined this picture for me because years ago I remember walking into a man's office and on his, was matted, was a framed picture of Bear Bryant coming down off a mountain with the plays for the Crimson Tide. And ever since then, I can't seem to quite get that picture out of my mind. Now, men, we, we were in study here this morning, and one of the things we said was, we need to learn to laugh. We need to lighten up so we can man up. Man up. So, but anyway, anyway, Moses is coming back down off that mountain, mountain, Mount Sinai, with the tablets, with those stone tablets, they begin, he and Joshua begin to hear the crowd, they begin to hear these people, and they're, and they're, and they're, they're very riotous. It sounds like they're partying. It sound, sounds like they're having a big time. Joshua says it's the sound of battle. Moses says, no, it's not. Here's a spiritual leader. He's like a parent. He knows the difference. He says, no, Joshua, that's not the sound of a battle. That's the sound of the enemy. Our enemy, Satan, the devil, coming in, and the people are, are basically partying, having a good time. When Moses sees this, he's so filled with passion, he takes the stone tablets that been engraved by God and throws them down and breaks them into pieces. Then he looks at Aaron, this spiritual leader, and he says, Aaron, you have perished, perah, the Hebrew word, you have caused these people to perish because, listen, you dropped the reins when they needed leadership. So I want you to pick up, and as you've seen this scene, look at Exodus chapter 32, beginning at verse 21. He says to Aaron, Exodus 32, verse 21, He said to Aaron, What did these people do to you Now watch this, that led you, that you led them into such great sin. Now you need to circle that if you're a parent here today. You need to circle that if you're a man and you're the pastor of your home today. You need to circle that today if you're in any position of leadership. If you're a teacher. If you're a nurse. You know, sometimes you go in, you wait on a patient, that patient acts like they know more than you do. You know what you need to remind them? I've gone to too much school, done too much for you to tell me how to do my job. Teachers need to sometimes say that to a parent. So anyway, he says in verse 21, he said to Aaron, what did these people do to you that that you led them into such great sin? Notice that. He says to Aaron, Aaron, you led them into sin. Now I want you to keep that in mind. Look at verse 22. Do not be angry, my Lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to be to, to evil. In other words, Aaron says to Moses, Moses, you know these people better than I do. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. This is the song. This is the heart cry of these people. Read on, verse 23. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. 
Verse 24, So I told them, Whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the jewelry, then they gave me the gold. I threw it into the fire. And watch this. Do you see this? Sometimes we're so wanting an experience or to identify something supernatural. He takes this as God. So I told them, whosoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. Then, he, then they gave me the gold. I threw it into the fire and out came this calf. Moses, I'm telling you, it was a miracle. I think he's trying to persuade Moses to come over. Now, in verse 25, Moses saw that the people were what? In the NIV, it says running wild. And watch this. He completely ignores Aaron's excuse. And that Aaron had let them get out of control and so become a laughingstock to who? To their enemies. And you see, that's what the enemy wants. You can be seated. You see, the problem is here. The problem is, is, is spiritual leadership. God had called Moses to lead these people. They had led them, he, had led them out of the, he had led them out of Egypt. He was leading them on their way to the promised land. They were in the wilderness now. They were at the, at the foot of Mount Sinai. They were getting ready to receive the law of God. This was a very big moment in the nation of Israel. But with all of that said... Moses relinquishes the spiritual leadership and transfers it over to Aaron. And he says to Aaron, now Aaron, while I'm gone, you are in charge. Now, now hear me, there is first of all, there's a problem of unspiritual leadership. This in any way, pastors, staff, dads, moms, in whatever form it comes in. You see, Aaron was not a spiritual leader. He was an unspiritual leader. Aaron, in essence, dropped the reins of leadership and allowed these people to get out of control. That is critical for you and I to remember. This word para, this Hebrew word para, perish, without vision, people do what? What will happen to them? They'll perish. They'll get out of control. So what Moses was saying to Aaron, Aaron, I hold you completely responsible for the behavior of these people. Wow. I told you the story last week of Steve Taylor, a friend of mine, pastored a great church out in Duran, Oklahoma, First Baptist Church in Duran. Him carrying me out there to this pasture, showing me this beautiful dapple gray horse that was unbelievable. The muscles, the, 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 the beauty of this animal was almost beyond description. And he began to talk about putting the bits and putting the reins. I don't know anything about horses, but I also told you this when we first got out there. You're so proud of this horse. He began to try to call this horse. You remember calling this horse? This horse kept running away from him. Finally, he went out there, grabbed this horse by the mane, slapped him bits in his mouth, wrapped that rein around there, and jerked that horse back under control. And then he walked back over there to me, and he said, the problem with this horse is my neighbor's horse. He said, since my neighbor moved a horse next door to my pasture, he says, my horse has begun to pick up that horse's rebellious nature. Wow. You see, there's something to be taught to all of us. What Steve was saying is, my horse is far better to able, I'm far better able to control my animal when it has the bits in his mouth, the rain around its head, and it's away from my neighbor's horse. You see, God has the same problem in our life. We have, a, we have the Holy Spirit living in here, but we also have a flesh nature. Now, you right now may be having victory over that flesh nature, but I promise you this, it is there. You and I feel it every day. In Galatians 5, 16 through 18, Paul said it. Paul said, listen, you have the Holy Spirit, you have the flesh nature, and they are battling, they are in conflict with one another. The flesh nature is in all of us. Now whether the flesh, the sin nature, whether that sin nature, that flesh is having victory, or whether the Holy Spirit is having victory is based on this. Which one are you coddling? Which one are you taking care of? If you're coddling, gratifying, and taking care of uh, the flesh, then the flesh is going to have victory over the Holy Spirit. 
But my friend, when you and I are in the Word of God and we're in prayer and we're feeding the Holy Spirit, and, and, and how do you feed the Holy Spirit? Listen to me, watch, listen to this. Thy Word have I hid in my heart so that I might not sin against God. Let's say it together. Thy Word have I hid in my heart so that I might not sin against God. You see, you and I need to understand this. As I take the, the sword of God's Spirit, the Word of God, and I'm storing it away in my, in my heart, then when I'm tempted, when the old flesh nature begins to rise up, or because I'm living in a, in a fallen world, when that fallen world speaks to that flesh nature, that sin nature trying to pull me away, it's in that moment that the Holy Spirit, listen to this, stay with me here, reaches down in the arsenal of my heart, pulls out a fiery dart, which is the Word of God, and it fires away at the enemy, the devil. You see, this is critical. So the only way you and I can have victory is by in essence, caring for the Holy Spirit and not the fleshly nature. Now, now, now stay with me here. The problem is, is sometimes when the flesh nature of men and women get together. In other words, an example would be Corinth, the church at Corinth. If you look at Ephesians, Galatians, Colossians, Philippians, you start First and Second Thessalonians, you start looking at this, and then you look at Corinth, and you see this massive amount of the, old, of the New Testament devoted to this church called Corinth, which is the equivalent of putting a church plant in Las Vegas. Then all of a sudden you say, wow, this church must have had a lot of problems. Yes, it did. But a lot of the problems of Corinth, Paul said, was because of carnality was because this church, when it came together, it was not a congregation, it was a crowd, and it was driven by its flesh nature. You see, the reality is, is that misery loves what? Company. If somebody is spiritually miserable, if they're losing victories to the flesh nature, then often what they want to do is they want to grab men and women around them so that they can join together, and it tends to make us feel a little bit better. If we are not careful, the flesh nature can turn a, a congregation into a crowd. So what is God's solution? Listen, everyone please look this way. It is godly spiritual leaders. That's it. You know, I told you last week, there's no other alternate plan. There's not a plan B. The plan for God is salvation through Christ alone faith in Christ alone. The plan for getting that message out is through His local church. You and I need to understand that. And God, what God does, God gives spiritual leaders and Moses is holding Aaron accountable because Aaron has not given good leadership to the nation of Israel. I wrote down here this quote, Godly leaders are God's deterrent to a congregation become a crowd, becoming a crowd. Now let me say to me, to our staff, to our deacon body, to Sunday school teachers, to those people in positions of leadership, if the leadership, and, and, and listen to this, if the leadership, as in the case of Aaron, is walking or losing to the flesh nature, then it's just a matter of time before we have a golden calf. Did you hear that? If, if your pastor is not spiritually walking in fellowship with the Holy Spirit, having listen, if I'm not having victory over the flesh nature, the sinful nature in my life, you're going to know it. You're going to know it. So this is critical. So the problem here of Israel was unspiritual leadership. But secondly, the pattern, let me give you the pattern for spiritual leaders. Dad, if you want to be the spiritual leader in your home. Mom, if you want to be the spiritual leader to your children. Then here is a critical pattern that you and I need to understand and develop. Number one, spiritual leaders must understand that they have the responsibility of holding the reins. That's what the word means. If the word para in the Hebrew, this word for perish, means to drop the reins. 
You see, the reality is when we come together as a, as a group of people, we come together united by a common identity. We are believers and followers of who? Of Jesus Christ. We are not only defined by our identity, but we do it in order. We have spiritual leaders that have been in positions who, listen, they hold the reins. Now stay with me here. Moses left Aaron in charge. He gave him the authority. He gave him the task of maintaining control. But Aaron dropped the reins, gave in to the pressure of people, and because of that, he let go. When Moses came down, Moses didn't say anything to the people of Israel. He dealt with who? He dealt with Aaron, that spiritual leader. He deals with Aaron. He holds Aaron accountable. Listen, because he had been left with the authority. And so when he says these words, you have caused these people to wonder. You have dropped the reins and allowed them to get out of control. This was a serious thing. I want you to look at something. Look at Exodus 32, verse 34. I think it's verse 34. I went, in fact, let's pick up at verse 31, because this is a good conversation here. So Moses went back to the Lord. Moses, now listen to this. Everyone look this way. He has broken the tablets. He has, he has he's, he's, uh, separated in some ways from his brother right now because of this disagreement of spiritual leadership. He's had to admonish Aaron. Now he's going back up to the mountain. Watch this conversation with God. In verse 31, so Moses went back to the Lord and said, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold. But now please forgive their sin, but if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. Blot me out of that book. In verse 33, the Lord replied to Moses, I love this, Whoever has sinned against me, I'll blot his name out of my book. Now you go and lead the people to the place I spoke of and my angel will go before you. Now everyone look this way. The next sentence is critical for you and I to remember. Watch what it says here. However, when the time comes for me to punish, I will punish them for what? For their sin. I've written a book called Killing the Church. The failure to confront. One of the premises, one of the premier points that is brought out into that book is that when you and I fail to confront, when we fail to be spirit, provide spiritual leadership to those friends, to those family members, to those people behind us, listen to this, we endanger their life in relation to their relationship to Christ. That is critical. We have a responsibility to, responsibility to each other. We live in a nation today that is rebelling against authority. You see it in the home, you see it in marriage, you see it in schools, you see it in prison, and yes, you can even see it in the church. There is a rebellion today against authority. There's a rebellion against the authority of God's Word. George Barna wrote a book called Revolution. I can tell you what kind of book it is. I, I said something to Dr. Gene Henderson, who pastored First Baptist Brandon for 19 years. I asked, uh, I asked Gene one day, I said, Gene, I said, have you seen uh, Barna's book, uh, Revolution? Gene turned and looked at me, just snapped his head toward me. He said, yes, and I don't like it. Now, why would a man of God not like that book? Because Barnum predicted it, that in this environment of America that we're in right now, in this rebellion against authority, that many are becoming disenfranchised with the church and with spiritual leadership and with organized church altogether. And because of this, and even within denominations, G.K. Chesterton said this, he said, talking about denominations, he said, never take down a fence until you know why it's there. Now I want you to listen closely because I believe we're living in those days. I believe we're living in days when spiritual leadership, first of all, there's a rebellion against authority. People don't want order. They say, listen, we love our crowd. We don't want a congregation. We want a crowd. 
We don't want anyone to have spiritual authority over us. We don't want to link with anybody else. We want to be our own. We want to do our own thing. There is a danger in that. Let me give you some things. Number one, denominations are not bad. Please hear the heart of your pastor. The entire evangelical community, the ecclesia, the church, is united around some things that make us all evangelical. In other words, this. We believe in salvation in Christ alone. And because of that, we're joined together around that central pillar of our faith. In other words, it doesn't matter if you're Assembly of God, doesn't matter whether you're Pentecostal, doesn't matter if you're Presbyterian, Methodist, Baptist, it doesn't matter what, it doesn't matter what tag or title you wear as a denomination. We are all joined together by the belief there is salvation under no other name than that of Jesus. That's it. Okay, so we all are protective as denominations around some central tenets to our faith, whether we be Baptist, whether we be Presbyterian, whether we be Assembly of God, Pentecostal, Methodist, and yes, even Catholic. Now, now hear me, as denominations, we have some, be, we, are, we are joined together around essential pillars of our faith we all agree with. Man, I love Brian Wilson down at Assembly of God Church down here. Uh, Southside Assembly. Great guy. Great man of God. In fact, I wouldn't tolerate anybody saying anything bad about him. He's a great man. Dwayne Pickett, man, when Dwayne and I see each other, I'm either going to pay for his meal, he'll pay for mine. Ronnie Crudup, many of these men, I respect them. Many of them wear different denominational tags. But I want you to know something. One thing, we are all in agreement as to the central figure of Jesus Christ and salvation by grace alone through faith. And I, I know this, it doesn't matter whether it's Ronnie Crudup, it doesn't matter whether it's Dwayne Pickett, it doesn't matter whether it's Brian Wilson, or it doesn't matter if it's me. I know that we as men, though we may differ in some areas, we agree on that and we protect it. Now, let me say this, denominationally, it's not to say that we don't disagree, we disagree on some non-essentials. Did you hear me? We disagree on some non-essentials. Methodists, they baptize babies or they sprinkle. Uh, they sprinkle. Presbyteria, they believe in the covenant family. You'll see them uh, baptizing babies. There are things that we disagree. Pentecostals, Assembly of God. We disagree as to eternal security. We may disagree on, uh, on some of the spiritual gifts. You see, we have chosen, though, to disagree agreeably. You know, I shared a while back with somebody, and it, and it really is something that God's just been bringing to the light, and it came out of the convention. There came a point when Paul and Barnabas could not agree. Okay? They couldn't agree over John Mark. They were in this situation where they were just disagreeing over whether to take John Mark again. And so finally, listen to this, the division came, became so great between John uh, between Paul and, and Barnabas that the Bible says that this great, these two great men of God that were a missionary force, you know what? They divided, they broke off, they separated over John Mark. Now Paul would take Silas, Barnabas would take John Mark, and you know what would happen? The gospel would even spread even greater and quicker and faster, and ultimately, God through His Holy Spirit would bring Paul back around so that by 2 Timothy, he says to those that, he says, listen, John Mark, I love him. Bring him to me if you can. You see, you and I have to understand that in this day when there's a rebellion against authority, when some would say, forget this denominational stuff. Why can't we just all meet together? My friend, it can be very dangerous. Right now, Southern Baptists are at a critical moment because we disagree over Calvinism. Now the reality is, is our denomination has been able to stand strong because we said to the Methodists, who were Arminian, we said, we love you, but we can't agree. We said to the Presbyterian, who were Calvinists, we love you, but we can't agree. We are people of the book. 
And all we know to do, we don't know who the elect are. It doesn't matter. We're just simply going to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And that's what we've done. And we're the largest missionary sending agency in the world because of that. We love Methodists. We love Presbyterians. And I can tell you this much, but if you force us together on non-essentials, it's a mistake. Had you said to Paul and, and Barnabas, said, no, we're not going to leave. You're not going to leave. We're going to sort this out. We're going to get it straight. You would have done enormous amount of damage to the cause of Christ. You and I may not like denominational tags. We may even like the idea of a non-denominational type group. But my friend, I thank God for Assembly of God. I thank God for the Methodist. I thank God for the Presbyterian. Because one thing we are all defending, we are all defending faith in Jesus Christ and by grace alone. You see, there's a danger today. And, and if you look at the Apostle Paul, Paul was always, it's no different than, there's the, the, you know, today again, I believe Barna's right in this thing of revolution. People are becoming dissatisfied with the local church. They said, hey, the church doesn't work anymore. Spiritual leadership, we don't like that anymore. Why can't we just meet and do our own thing? My friend Paul never did it. Paul was identified, he and, si he and Barnabas, they were identified by Antioch. Antioch, where they were first called Christians, do you remember? They anointed, they anointed Paul and Barnabas, and they sent them out into the Roman Empire to take the gospel. When Paul would identify a group at Thessalonica, Philippi, the jailer at Philippi, or wherever it might be, immediately he would begin to try to see as God began to raise up spiritual leaders, and he would immediately send Titus, Timothy, those people to train those leaders and then he would link this church with that church and ultimately all the way back to Jerusalem to the apostolic fathers because of the critical issue of authority and accountability that's why we have denominations that's why Paul said we are to do everything as he said to Corinth decently and in order any group any parachurch organization that is acting independently and in their own authority can be dangerous to the cause of Christ. Sure is quiet. The great danger in our day, and I believe we're living in those days, is there's a backlash against the church. People get disgruntled with the church. People have a bad experience with the church. Do you know who's had more bad experiences with the church than anybody in this room? You want to guess? But I promise you this much, I believe in the local church. I know I've spent my life studying this Bible. It's the way God does it. The ecclesia, ekkaleo, he calls us out. He joins us together around a common, a common uh, doctrinal pillar, and that is salvation in Christ alone through faith. We begin to identify leaders. We link up with other churches because there has to be accountability. Now listen to me closely. I may have all of you duped. Please stay with me here. This is critical. Some of you are not listening. I need you to listen. I could be sharp enough perhaps to manipulate this group of people into just blindly following me. But I thank God that I'm networked within a denomination and with godly men and women who would begin to pick up on unsound doctrine coming out of this church and they would come in here, they would come to my office, they would approach me and say, you're wrong. We went to the website, we heard you say this, and though your people are blindly following you, you're, you are wrong, you're out, of, you're out of fellowship, you don't know the scripture, and you're making a doctrinal error that may be great. My friend, I'm not going to meet very long with any organization or group that is not accountable to the local church and its leadership. I can promise you that. This is critical. 
And you say, Pastor, you sure are getting worked up about this. Why? Because we are living in a day when there is a rebellion against authority. Think, for instance, in the presidential election. President Obama, four years ago, when he ran for office, made it very, very clear. You know what he said? I am not in favor of same-sex marriage. He made that very clear. We trusted him there. But there came that moment when, listen, when the pressure of people began to get stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger, and all of a sudden he had a new revelation, and he changed his opinion, his convictions, about something from what he had said four years ago. Why? Because he dropped the reins and allowed people to manipulate and orchestrate and maneuver him into a position that I believe deep down in the depths of his soul he doesn't agree with. And I think if one of his daughters came in and said, Dad, I've met a young lady at college, I love her, and we're going to get married, I think in the depth of our president's soul it would break his heart. But what happened? It's what happens to any authority. And it's the danger that can happen. Cults are always developing because they develop in places where the discontent meet together and where there's a rebellion against spiritual authority, especially in the form of a pastor. You hear it in Aaron in verses 22 through 24. And it can be like a cancer. In Hebrews 13, 17, and 18, it says, Obey them that have the rule over you. In fact, let's turn to it real quickly. And I'll close in a moment, but I want you to see this. Go all the way back toward the back of your Bible there to Hebrews. Listen to what Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, 18. It says in Hebrews 13, verse 17, all the way back, right before the book of James. Right there, almost to the back of the New Testament. It says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse, eight, verse 17, Obey your leaders and submit. That word is hupatasso. It means to submit. It means to come under their authority. Obey your leaders. Submit to their authority. Listen to this. Now watch this. No parachurch organization. No other group of people. I don't care where they meet and how often they meet. Obey your leaders. Who's he talking about here? He's talking about spiritual leaders that God has called and anointed and put into your life. Obey your leaders. Submit hupatasso. Come under their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will, not, will be a joy, not a burden. For that would be of no advantage to you. Verse 18, pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience. Hey, look this way. I have a clear conscience. Pray for us. We're sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. Look this way. I'm living honorably in every way. But if I'm not, then there are men and women in our denomination. There are men and women in fellow churches. Brian Wilson, he would love me much enough immediately to come to me and say, Jeff, you know I love you. And you know we don't agree doctrinally on some non-essentials. But Jeff, I love you enough to tell you that what I heard you said last Sunday is not true. And it's wrong. Dwayne Pickett loves me enough, he would approach me and say that. But my friend, if we were a group of people just meeting together, if we were a group that were a parachurch organization with no accountability, no authority, nobody linked up to us in order to provide that accountability, then that is a very dangerous place to be. Listen, family's house burned down over here. There may be parachurch organizations that do things, but you hear me, guess who gets the glory when they do? There may be other ministries, but guess who gets the glory when those ministries do the things they do? They are identified and given glory according to the name of the person who's running the ministry or the organization. When this church does what we do, you want to know who gets the glory? Jesus Christ. The local church, there's no substitute for it. Not in your life, and there's no substitute in spiritual leadership.
your pastor and your staff. You may not agree with me and you may not agree with your staff, but all of us are a gift from God to you. We hold ourselves accountable. But this is critical. Now real quickly and then let me close. The danger when leaders don't hold the reins, when we let things fall by the wayside, can be extremely dangerous to the cause of Christ. Let me, let me say this, and I'm, I'm running out of time again. I want to be sensitive to the time. If you turn over to the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation is about the end time. Okay? And if you look at the first three chapters of Revelation, the word Revelation means unveil. We could be living in the last days. Now, there are seven churches. The last church, starting in Revelation 3, 14 through 20, is, is, is the church at Laodicea. Listen, listen to me. The word Laodicea meant the people ruled. Did you hear that? There are a lot of theologians, a lot of Bible scholars that say this. They say, first of all, these are seven real churches that Jesus sent a message to, number one. Secondly, there are seven types of churches that Jesus sent a message to that you're always going to find in church history. In other words, you're going to find churches that resemble one of these churches. Thirdly, and many a Bible scholar believes this, says these are seven church ages, and the last age prior to the coming of Christ is what they call the Laodicean age. The word Laodicean means the people ruled. You see, what is critical is that you and I understand that God has called us together. He's put us in a church. That church has officers. It has people in positions of leadership. Now, let me say this. I'll make mistakes. A few weeks ago, in fact, I'm going to apologize to you right now. And I'm not doing it because you had this gift a little while ago. I'm doing it because it's in my notes. And I said I was going to do it. A few weeks ago, we, we, had a, we had a service where, first of all, our worship leader just finally put his guitar down and said, you can't pay me enough to do this, and basically just got mad and walked off the platform. And I got up here and said, shame on you. Shame on us. Now, there's two things that I want to apologize. First of all, I want to apologize when I first wrote the book Killing the Church, and I began to try to incorporate you and get you to be a part of that. I, um, I was a little hurt. I, I wanted you to jump on this bandwagon and believe that, hey, man, Brother Jeff, this book is, this book is a word from the Lord to the church, and I wanted you to jump on and, and help me out with this book. You know, Some of you have not read this book yet. But uh, I made this statement, if you weren't going to support me, then fire me. And that may have been a little strong. Okay, so I apologize for making that statement. But I will say this, and you may say, well, what's the difference? There is a difference. As far as pastoral leadership, spiritual leadership, if anybody's feeding into your life more than I am, if you're listening to spiritual leadership coming in any other form other than a local church and through your pastor you may need to examine whether you need to be here or not. Because that person may be your pastor even if they're not a part of a church. Now let me warn you, if you in essence what you're doing, you're firing me. That is critical. You see, we need to come under, in a church setting, we need to come under spiritual authority. We may not always agree with it, but we still have to submit to it. If it's wrong, God will deal with it in time. If you're a part of another organization that does not have accountability and clear channels of authority, that situation, if that person has spiritual leadership and guidance over your life more than that of your pastor, then the reality is, is I think you're doing your spirit a disservice and I think you're disobeying the word of God. And in essence, you fired me. Now, secondly, the worship leader is my son. So every parent understands that when your kids are hurting, you hurt. 
So when I was coming to the pulpit that Sunday, I was coming with two things warring inside of me. You might have said the spirit and the flesh, and that's probably true. But it was also the fact of being the preacher versus being the, pa- being the parent. I was a parent who was upset coming to preach, and they were conflicting. For that, I apologize. But I also apologize to the praise team. I want to apologize to, to our worship leader and our praise team because for a long time, months, they had been getting chewed up, beat up, bruised up by people that just weren't happy. Uh, there, there were things that were just sound and problems we were having we were just struggling with. There wasn't no other way around it. And some of it got to be unchristlike, And I was allowing the, the, the praise team and the sound people to endure things that, that I should have stopped. You see, we were turning into a crowd. We were not behaving like a congregation. We can't have that. You see, the danger is here is that I become an Aaron and we start making you happy rather than Jesus. And I've been too far along in this thing to change now. Now, with all that said... I believe George Barna's right. I believe people are disenfranchised with the church. The church got a lot of problems. There are a lot of things that are not right about the church. And let them blink. That's all right, too. But it's still the way God does what he does. He does it through the local church. He's chosen the foolishness of preaching. He's chosen pastors. He's chosen deacons. Even if deacons are not very good, even if pastors are not very good, he still says, this is the way I do it. This is the way I'm always going to do it. It's going to be an organized church, going to have spiritual leaders. They're going to have authority, and they're going to be accountable to other churches, even if they network within denominations. That's the best plan. As far as I can understand, that's the only plan. Now, I'm going to ask you to stand with heads bowed and with eyes closed. I want you to look this way first. I'm going to pray for my president. I'm going to pray that when it comes to the convictions that are in his heart, I told somebody I believe he's a good man. I believe there's a lot of good qualities in President Obama. I'm going to pray that when it comes to a conviction like same-sex marriage, that he will be the man that God has called him to be. Okay, I'm going to pray that he'll understand because hear me, I'll answer for this sermon every word of it one day. I'll answer for my leadership in your life. Listen to this, everybody listening. The president will answer for his leadership in the lives of 290 million, nearly 300 million people. Okay? And whatever position of authority you have, you're going to one day, Dad, you're going to have to answer. Some of you dads, you just dropped the reins in parenting. You're letting mom raise the kids. You can't handle it. That's wrong. Mom, you may be a single mom here. You've just dropped the reins. You've just kind of given up, given in. That's wrong. You can't do that. I can't do that. The president, he can't do it either. None of us can do it. You can't drop the reins on your own life. So with heads bowed and with eyes closed, our Heavenly Father, we just pray, dear Lord, we pray that, dear Lord, we would step up and man up. Whether we be men or women, that, dear Lord, we would begin to understand. Lord, this sermon has been been very different. I didn't even want to preach it. It's just a heaviness in preaching it. But, Lord, I believe that we're living in a day when when people are angry at the church, when they're disenfranchised with the church, when they... 
they don't like a particular pastor that they had in their past or whatever it may be. And Lord, there are people that, dear Lord, if they're not careful, dear Lord, it can be a seedbed for the enemy to spread things that are contrary to sound doctrine. So Lord, I pray today that we would understand that that the church is the bride of Christ. It's, it's not just made up of a handful of people meeting together, a group of the disenchanted or, or disgruntled. Lord, it's a group of people that come together and they, uh, they find out we need, we need a pastor. We, we, need, we need deacons put in place. We need to do this decently and in order. We need to be accountable to other, to other churches to ensure we need to link up with other churches. And so, Father, I pray that this would be the spirit of the people who make up this church. Lord, we may, we may let them down. We may fail. We may get frustrated and irritated. Lord, we may say things and do things that, dear Lord, will later break our hearts and bring sadness. But, Lord, at least we're accountable. At least, dear Lord, we're, in a, we're, in, we're networked with other churches and denominations that can, that can make sure that we remain accountable and true to our faith. So Lord, I pray that you speak to the hearts, dear Lord. I've struggled through this message. This has not been easy. Not because of the lack of the Holy Spirit, but because I believe that I'm battling with the enemy. Because Lord, I know this. I know this. People can say that they love me, but if they hate Sheila, they're my enemy. If they don't like my wife, then I've got a real problem with them. Lord, I believe today you got a real problem. I hear some people that, dear Lord, when I sit and listen to them a few minutes, I almost get the feeling that they don't even like the church. They hate it. And I think to myself, I, I've had some bad experiences too. But it's your bride. It's your bride. And it may not be perfect. It may make some mistakes. But Lord, I pray that we'd fall in love with the local church. That we'd put all our time and effort in the local church. Because, dear Lord, when the local church does anything... God, you get the glory. This is not anybody's ministry. This is Jesus' ministry. It's about Jesus. We thank you, dear Lord, and we praise you. And we pray right now, dear Lord, if there's a man or a woman, a boy or girl, a young person in this room that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, we pray today, dear Lord, right now in this moment, that your Holy Spirit would begin to speak to their heart. Draw them here to this front. Even as our counselors begin to come and make their way here to, to pray with and to encourage people. Lord, I pray, dear Lord, that you would just make sure that every person in this room is a follower of Christ. Speak to us, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. You